I think it's nice with this kind of uh, this kind of format, sitting and meditating together uh, when there are announcements between the meditation and the Dhamma talk, uh, to take a moment together to uh, to return to that meditative space. I've been reflecting on the impermanence, and of course, uh, all meditations are a kind of meditation on impermanence. Except for one, the Abhidhamma says. The meditation on the uh, Nirvana element, the meditation on Nirvana is supposed to be the one, the one exception. As, uh, by definition, that is what does not, uh, does not appear to rise and fall. What is uh, unborn and unceasing. But for all other things of our body and mind, they certainly they certainly seem to uh, to fall into the category of things that uh, that arise and pass away. Our experience is so momentary. A few minutes ago, sitting here in the dark, in this very wonderful space. I felt like it had, uh, like I had returned to 20 years ago when I was a university student and so freshly interested in meditation. And I came to a school uh, not far away from my university and sat together with about 20 friends there, surrounded by the toys and things of the school, but sitting in the evening in silence together. There seemed to be a kind of timeless quality. At that time, it was a, a meditation on impermanence, which led me into the monastic life. I was in university and working, and things were going along very nicely. And uh, uh, someone who had been a close friend of mine, I got a telephone call one day. Uh, another friend called to let me know that they had passed away. We weren't that old at that time. I wanted to know how, and she explained that she had caught a cold, caught pneumonia, and uh, then died in two weeks. At that time, the AIDS scare was just beginning, so she continued the news. She said that she didn't know how to tell me, uh, that they had found out, you know, it was mysterious why someone would pass away, catch a cold and get pneumonia and pass away like that, and uh, that she had died of AIDS. And although she wasn't such a close friend of mine, she was calling to let me know that I should consider being tested. And uh, so I went to my university, uh, my university health clinic. And I think the AIDS scare was just really, there was so much, so much unknown at that time, so much ignorance. It was really just, just starting to, starting to come out. And uh, even to get in the line, 
uh, a special window that had been set up for AIDS testing. Everyone else really looked <laughs> looked at me, and I felt the uh, felt the vibrations, like the the ripple of suspicion, doubt, fear, questioning, all of that, and uh, and I just felt that felt that in my body, and uh, I began to understand oh what what this is. I didn't know beforehand, so it's just a kind of a discovery. Um, and then speaking to my family members about having such a test, also the response that, uh, that I got from them. They didn't know much at that time, like uh, whether they could even touch me or hug me or not. Uh, because, you know, there was just so much, so much fear and really uh, not much not much good information at that time. This is about 20 years ago. And uh, it gave me some kind of insight into, uh, into our, fear, our fear of death and uh, mm, the type of clinging that we may have uh, to what we feel is ours, what we hold most dear and precious uh, to our life. And how, in some cases, idealistically, I thought, certainly my family members shouldn't, shouldn't have this fear. Certainly my close friends, they would still, they would still come near me. Uh, they wouldn't stay away from me just to protect their own life, would they? Or, or would they? Uh, but it was quite a, quite a kind of discovery. It showed me some things. Uh, about uh, about our uh, our fear of death and our our clinging, uh, our sense of what people may call self-preservation, uh, and where where that comes up, how that how that weighs up uh, compared to our other human values, our sense to get and keep something for ourselves. Compared to uh, compared to being loving and kind and caring, uh, generous, uh, compassionate, it was really uh, really quite a time of discovery. And, uh, somehow an important part of getting into this color scheme. Uh, I remember thinking, oh. If uh, if my friend, uh, you know, both of us, we knew each other as teenagers. We both thought we were going to live forever. We did all kinds of crazy things. Uh, if he if he could pass away so quickly, uh, how did I know that I was going to uh, going to live for for how much longer? And I realized that I really I really didn't know. I didn't know at all. In fact, that I didn't know. Even the next, uh, even the next breath, or the one after. Not to mention later on this evening, or tonight, or the next day. I just realized, ah, oh, I really don't know. In fact, that, for some reason, was uh, was kind of liberating. Just to realize, oh, for, for 
all the things that I uh, expected or I really thought that I knew. Uh, how much of it do I really? How much of it really is true? Uh, and realizing, oh, I don't know. For some reason, that was, uh, I, I relaxed in that. That was kind of, uh, kind of free. And uh, it opened up some possibilities in my mind. I know another close friend who is now just a little bit older than I was then was thinking about what's important to do with her life. And she started to read uh, Joseph Levine's book, A Year to Live. Are any of you familiar with that? Oh, I'm sorry. Stay with me. She's been, uh, she's been going through that book now. And she said that she's finding it very, very helpful. The contemplations in that book that she's going through, she's finding it very helpful uh, in making her life choices. I also, at that time, had a lot of consideration about, uh, oh, as a young person, uh, what, what's good, what's useful to do with this life? Uh, what does it mean, really? Uh, is there anything really to it at all? Or is it just, uh, as, as I learned in biology, is it just basically eating? Or is it consuming, consuming nutrients, excreting waste? And uh, <laughs> is that, uh, if I was in university, I was studying these things at that time, is that really the sum, the sum of life? Uh, just a, a consumption, a transformation of energy. The Buddha himself also, when he was asked one time, what is life? Uh, he answered the question with uh, a single word, the word nutriment, or, or food. Uh, very interesting with modern biology. I wondered, oh really, is that it? <laughs> Or is there really something wrong with that? Uh, reading the stories of, uh, of the Buddha and some other stories that are, I think, just as popular now, like The Lord of the Rings. And that I even, even in Narnia, I saw in a billboard. Um, and the, the story of the Buddha's life, I think, and some of the old masters. There was a kind of an idea of our life being like uh, being like a journey, setting out and uh, looking for what was truly important, meeting with wise people, and uh, listening to them, learning from them, practicing what they taught. And uh, mm, I think then in one small in, in one small backpack. Uh, keeping keeping the treasures that were really important and uh, lightening the load as one went along so as not to be carrying the, the heavy and unnecessary things. Uh, kind of uh, as an archetype of, uh, of, of our journey, our journey through life. One of the great meditations on impermanence, I think, is uh, like looking at uh, looking at sand blowing in the wind. 
the image I have, the image of a desert, and the wind blowing. How wonderful concentration on impermanence. When I started to learn more about the Buddhist teaching, I came upon a definition of this world as the Saraloka, which means like the world, world of dust. I had some Christian presidents who were thinking of ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And thinking, oh, hmm. In fact, uh, when Buddhism began to uh, travel out of India, there are those who, who walked the Silk Road, who walked uh, across really, really great desert areas. And uh, there's a kind of a, a kind of a, a tool that some of those who are treasure seekers would carry along with them. Uh, and that tool was called, uh, uh, in Chinese, in classical Chinese characters, it's called a salmon. Uh, it's like a sister. So, so many people died along those roads in search of their, uh, in search of their fortune or um, seeking out something new. Uh, there, there are the places that are like, you know, you might see the bones sticking out from the sand or uh, the wealth that they carried along with them uh, might, might have been left there amongst the bones. Uh, so some of the people who travel along with, uh, with the monks, they might carry like a, like a sister. And uh, that sister, that sister is called a sandal. It means like a, like a, like a grater or something that you sift flour through. Uh, a kind of a net. And, uh, you know, when it's, uh, when it's used to, uh, pick up something, a bunch of sand, and then, then shake it, sift it. And, uh, the sand may pass through, right? The sand passes down, but anything else that's inside there may be, may be held, may be caught by the, uh, by the sifter. So, the old word for a Buddhist monastic, uh, in the Pali language is a samana, uh, for a, a recluse or a renunciate, it's samana. And in Sanskrit, maybe a shamana, uh, like the word that we have in English for shaman. It actually has the same, the same root. Uh, so, the Samana, when it was translated, when this word was translated into classical Chinese, those two characters, the Samun, uh, those were the two characters that were chosen. Uh, phonetically, Samun and uh, Samana, they sound, Saman, they, they sound very similar. And uh, there's a reason for that, in fact. And it's something that uh, I remember uh, a teacher who had studied some classical, classical Chinese uh, taught me the reason for that and the analogy in, uh, in, our, in our practice life, uh, in the monastic life. But I think it applies to all of us, not, not only for monastics, uh, because the real renunciation, I think, is not, uh, is not to cut off one's hair or, uh, or to wear pastoral. Of course. If we keep a lot of eco in our hair, then cutting off the hair can help. <laughs> if we wrap a lot of ourselves up in what we wear, then wearing the same clothes day after day can help to see that, and uh, can help to ease it. Uh, and 
put it to use it and let go of that attachment. Um, but that's not really, I mean, that's, that's an important part, of course. But I think the real, the real renunciation is not just, not in the form, but it's what, really what happens, what happens in our heart. And uh, so when I learned about this definition of the samana, uh, the way it was explained to me was uh, with the image of the sand and impermanence. And uh, I was traveling on a, on a journey of life and uh, coming to different stops. And uh, wherever our mind alights, uh, whatever catches our eye or our ear or uh, our thought, uh, and uh, thinking about that process, the sifting, the sifting process, uh, kind of like a sifting for treasure, for, for what is precious there, and letting everything else into the sand just easily pass through and fall, fall away, just fall away. So I think as the Buddha described renunciation, I mean, the real renunciation that has nothing to do with whether you're a monastic or not. Uh, the one that really has to do with, uh, has to do with whether we suffer or not, or whether we live in, uh, in happiness and in peace. That real renunciation is, uh, letting go of what is, uh, what's unimportant, right? What is, uh, what is unskillful, unimportant. And uh, keeping keeping the treasure, the part that really is really is in value. I think the Buddha described that as the real renunciation. Of course, finally he said, "There is nothing that should be clung to as I am mine, you are mine." But um, uh, temporarily, those uh, those those valuable things, uh, those those precious things. They may be called, uh, like, do you remember the sutta, an auspicious night? I was thinking about us this evening, also thinking of this as an auspicious night or a fortunate night. I read some commentary on it, and it may also be translated as one fortunate attachment. So, for the things that we keep in our sister of, uh, of every moment, uh, thinking about what may be let to, uh, let to fall away, pass through easily, uh, the things that aren't necessary to carry as baggage on our journey, uh, but to let them fall away, and uh, the others that are, uh, that are the treasure, uh, the really valuable and important things, I think those may be called uh, the like the fortunate attachment, the things that really are, are really are useful, even to attach to what will, well, maybe support you until you're ready to support you, strengthen you, uh, guide you, until you're ready to let go of everything, until you're ready to let go of even that, uh, that, that fortunate attachment. The things shouldn't be carried beyond their time, right? Just during the time that they're useful. Just during the time that they're beneficial. So I was reflecting back uh, on, on impermanence and on what, uh, oh, the sister in the mind. 
uh, it's feminine. It's uh, in, in all of in all of our hearts, in all of our minds. And uh, and how it may work skillfully. Like the image of uh, the image of allowing whatever whatever is there that's uh, that's not needed, that's not necessary, to let it pass easily. Uh, sand returning to sand. Elements returning to the elements. Uh, and uh, I think to contemplate, to really think of what is truly precious and uh, important, and to use those, to use those things well, to use those things wisely. I was glad in driving here in the front seat. I heard two voices as I was sitting quietly with closed eyes in the back. Two voices talking about this and talking about that. Kind of like running water. And uh, and the motion of the car. And I felt this uh, like through the through the body. And uh, just realized at that moment, ah, it can be it can be any moment again, returning to that. We don't know. Do I know? Any moment that, uh, that our life may, may pass. And I think there was a moment where I felt ready to do, like whatever may be needed to do, if there's something, just ready, ready to do that. Um, and then another moment afterwards of just relaxing and, and releasing and feeling, Really, really comfortable. Well, if this is it, all right. I think the time has been well spent to, to, live, to live without regret. I flashed back. My bed is made. <laughs> I told my mom I lost her last time I talked to her. <laughs> which, which things are important. Is there anything left undone? And, uh, oh, I think it's all right. I think it's all right. Today is okay. This moment is okay also. It's been very nice. There's been so much encouragement in monastic life to live that way. And, um, very nice to have a reminder of a little, a little tour in the car. <laughs> Just for a moment there. They come back and realize, ah! That's really nice to feel that ah, it's all right. I think that may be the heart of the, the heart of the feminine, which everyone has the same, the same beating heart. Huh? And uh, being in the attic, I wanted to share with you this evening. Uh, thank you for listening. And uh, it is just a couple of minutes before nine. And uh, I know it's important for some of you to go at night and uh, to honor that. And uh, if there are any of you who would like to ask any questions, they're, they're welcome. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.